Hello, welcome to the latest Mark Leverage podcast, this one being for October 2021. Now, after about 14 months of doing no live shows at all, last month I suddenly ended up with two in a week. And at one of those shows, something happened, a spectator said something, and it kind of reminded me what I'd been missing in the many months in which there have been no shows. Spectators say things that you just basically couldn't make it up. And I had a situation where this happened to me. It was a, a lady's 50th birthday party. It was, it was outdoors. It was a very informal event, very nice. And her partner had booked me because he told me that him and his partner, the two of them, they love to watch the magicians on television and online, particularly Las Vegas magicians like whether it's Matt King or whether it's David Copperfield, that's what they liked. And he said that this particular lady was very keen on magic. So I thought, well, that's great. And so he said, I'm booking you so you can come along and uh, surprise her and entertain her. So I duly turned up and when I got there, he came to meet me and he said, oh, let me go and introduce you to the birthday girl. So he took me over to this woman and said, oh, look, look, um, we've got Mark here. He's a magician. He's come to entertain us. And she sort of stood there and she looked at me. She said, all right, which wasn't quite the reaction I expect from somebody who apparently really likes magic. She said, "Uh, oh, okay. well, I hope you don't mind me saying so, but aren't magicians a bit creepy? Well, that's quite an opening line, isn't it? So I said, well, maybe some magicians are creepy. I don't think I fall into that category, but um, if you say so. She said, no, no, I'm not being funny. They're they're a bit creepy because I've always thought that magicians, don't they just use magic to get off with girls? And then she looked at me for a minute, just for a split second. And then she added, well, obviously not in your case because of your age, but magicians generally. Right. So at this point, I didn't know whether to which thing to be the most offended by. The fact that she thought all magicians should use magic to get off with girls or whether she thought I was too old to actually be able to do that. Anyway, it's very funny. And I must admit, I, I did use what she'd said with other groups at that in, actually at that party as an opening line. I said, oh, I'm the magician, and, but don't worry. I'm uh, Contrary to what the birthday girl thinks, I am not going to use my magic skills to try and get off with any of you. And her friends thought this was hilarious because I think perhaps they were quite used to her saying slightly outrageous things. It did make me wonder, though, whether she she in fact did like magic or whether it was him, her partner, who liked the magic. And she sort of sat and watched it with him just and endured it a little bit. Anyway, I did entertain her. She was fine. She was fine. And we had we had we had a good time. But I just thought, you know, I've really missed this, this the way that lay people do say things sometimes that you, you really takes you back takes you aback Uh, and you can't believe they've just said that and how you react to that and the fun that you can get out of that you you don't get any of that when you don't perform do you and you don't get any anecdotes or little experiences so for that alone I'm very happy that live shows are back again I've mentioned before I believe that I'm a member of a couple of business networking groups. These are nothing to do with magic as such. It's just businesses who get together under normal circumstances for face-to-face luncheons and everybody tells everybody else what they do in their job. And of course, being the magician, it's very memorable because there aren't any other magicians in the networks that I belong to. And I was at the first live 
face-to-face networking group in Exeter, the first one that had taken place since March of last year. And there were a couple of people I hadn't met before sitting on my table. And at the uh, end of the meal, when most of the, the meeting had pretty much finished, we got to discussing and one of the, one of the guys who I hadn't met before said, so Mark, you're a magician. That's absolutely fascinating. Can you show us a trick then? And you get this situation, don't you? And I, I actually didn't do a trick because at that precise moment, it didn't feel appropriate because of what else was going on in the room. And also, I kind of slightly resent. I know it's not meant in a, in a nasty way or even a challenging way. He was just interested. Think, well, have you got a trick you can show us? But I, I do slightly resent the idea of having to prove myself the moment I tell somebody that I'm a magician. Why should I have to drop everything at the, at the slightest whim of somebody else and like a performing monkey show that I can do what I've claimed to be able to do? I can't think of almost anything else where you are the moment you say that you are something, you have to prove it. But magic seems to be like that, doesn't it? And it is, I do find it slightly irritating. And I can never quite square it with myself. I think to myself, well, should I take the opportunity to do some magic and show them that I can do what I say I, I can do? Might it leave an impression with them? Or actually, is it just them an idle curiosity? They're not that interested, but they thought, well, come on then, show us what you can do. Prove us you're a magician then. Is it more uh, like that? I'm, I'm never quite sure. And it doesn't make me feel comfortable because I, although I will always, every time I go to a network lunch, I will always take a pack of cards with me or something like that, just in case I, I end up being, in inverted commas, forced to show some magic. But I don't really want to offer it and I don't want to do it. Because I feel that it's almost like, well, normally you have to pay for this, but I'm going to give you this this freebie just because you happen to have asked at a time when it's not convenient to me and I'm not warmed up. I'm not in performance mode. The relationship between me and the people, in this case, this man at the table was not performer and spectator or anything like that. It, It changes the dynamic I don't know. Maybe it's just me being overthinking this. Uh, maybe I should just get on and do it. But I've, I've never been comfortable with it because I've always felt that I should be doing magic on my terms when I'm ready, when I'm set properly, when I'm wearing the suit that I always wear when I perform. So I feel I'm in my work clothes, if you like. And when the, the circumstances are right, when the person understands that you know, everybody's sitting around, there's going to be entertainment. I happen to be a magician. I'm going to be doing that entertainment. So the, the parameters and the understanding of the roles, if you like, that we're playing are clear. It's, it's a bit similar in a way to entertaining friends. I never, if I can possibly avoid it, I will never entertain friends because, as I say, I think it changes the dynamic and the relationship between me and them. One minute I'm a friend just chatting generally. The next minute I have to turn into a performer. And I don't like that change of emphasis when it's outside of a normal show environment. So I try my very best not to just entertain at the drop of a hat. Now, there there are, have been in the past... Uh, and there can be circumstances where I've been booked by friends to entertain other friends of theirs. Well, that's fine because everybody understands then what my role is and what I'm supposed to be doing. And I can do it in a professional way 
without making any allowance for the fact that I know some of these people. But just to, oh, Mark, you know, it's a, it's a quiet afternoon. We haven't got anything to do. Do you want to show us a trick? I don't want to get into that habit. Also, because with friends, if it, if it happens more, more than once, they might get, oh, Mark's coming around. I suppose we better ask him to do a trick. <laughs> that sort of, well, he's the magician when he always does a trick when he comes. I suppose we better ask him to. Don't really want him to, but I suppose we better had. Get the kids in. Get the kids in. He'll show them something. I really don't want to do magic under those circumstances. So maybe I'm wrong, but I've always felt a bit like this about it. Impromptu performances just simply aren't for me. I guess it's probably true to say that as magicians, we all have our favourite magicians who we like to watch or who we respect or have a lot of time for. And I, I've certainly got one or two magicians who I thoroughly enjoy every time I see them. And it's not always to do with the the skill or the expertise of the magician magicians themselves. It's often more to do with the general way they do things, the way they handle if, for instance, when it's a close up magician, the way they handle the props that they use, the way they handle cards, say that there's something very fluid and familiar with the way they shuffle cards, even just taking them out of the box there's neat precise actions and sometimes I think it's those little things that telegraph to lay people now here is somebody who really knows what he's doing if you are a technically very good magician but you're not particularly slick let's say with your pocket management so you finish one trick you go to get the props out for another and you can't find it and you're rummaging around oh that is somewhere hang on a minute oh no it's not in that pocket oh here it is oh well that's part of it where's the other bit oh here it is that that kind of slightly unless it's part of a character where you're deliberately portraying somebody who's a bit sort of unsure of what they're doing generally speaking that doesn't look very good so even if the magic with those props when they when that person finally gets them out of their pockets is good the overall image of that person, I think, as an entertainer is diminished. And I can remember watching people like, for instance, Alan Shackson. When you watched him, watched him do his uh, either stand up or stage act. When he reached into his box to get a prop, even if it was just a pair of scissors, he didn't have to look. He would he would be standing at, a, at the position near the box so that all he had to do was stretch out his arm and come straight back out with the scissors. And the moment he finished them, they went straight back. They weren't thrown away. They were put away, but really, really quickly and neatly and slickly. And everything that he did was very efficient in terms of movement. And I absolutely loved watching that. There was a, he exuded this confidence that he knew where everything was and he knew how to handle every prop exactly in the right way. And it, I just found the whole thing fascinating to watch. Never mind the fact that the magic was great. It was the way he did his, whether it's pocket management, box management, whatever it was, it was the way he handled those props. And I think there's a lot to be said for that, that if we can, as magicians, not only do the tricks well, but also everything around that the way we move around the stage or the cabaret floor, the way that we get things cutting a piece of rope, the way you cut it. Do you hack through it or do you snip it? 
you know, slightly in a quick and slightly theatrical way. You know what I mean? It's all these little things build up a picture that makes the, you as a performer look really, really like you know what you're doing. And I think an audience appreciates that. And even though, as I say, it's nothing to do with the actual magic itself, it's the way that you handle the props that leaves a lasting impression. At the time of recording this podcast, it's just been announced by the Magic Circle that the new president who's just been voted in is Megan Swan. And I'm really pleased for her because she has been a real stalwart for the Magic Circle, especially since the last couple of years with all the changes and things that have been going on there. She's put an awful lot of time and effort into the circle. And it's nice that somebody like her is recognised by the membership as being somebody that they really want to be at the helm. And I'm absolutely delighted for her. The slightly disappointing thing, though, is that a lot of the coverage of her success, one of the first things that's mentioned is the fact that, it, that it's the first time there's been a female president of the Magic Circle. And although this is factually correct, I, I do think it's a shame that we need to point this out as the leading item, if you like, on the agenda of what's just happened. Because Megan is the president of the Magic Circle because she deserves to be, because she is good at what she does, both as a performer and also, in a, to be honest, as an administrator and an ambassador for the Magic Circle. Not just because she's a woman. And in many ways, it, it, it's a sort of almost like a retrograde step, isn't it? Because the Magic Circle took a long time to, to admit women in the first place, despite many votes. Year after year, eventually it went through, admittedly some time ago now. But women are still in the minority in terms of membership in the circle, because there are simply less female magicians, I guess, too, than there are men. But you'd think, wouldn't you, that in these days of much more basic equality in most things, not everything, in society generally, it's a pity that we still have to be going on about the fact that she's the first female. And isn't it amazing that a woman is the president of the Magic Circle? No, no, it isn't amazing, really. It's because she deserves to be and because the members think she'll do a good job, not because she's a woman. So I... I, I felt that why talk about that let's talk about what Megan can offer the magic circle and what let's look at her what she will do over the next few years while she's in power as it were and reflect on that rather than the fact that she's the magic circle's first female president talking of the magic circle leads me to mention the fact that I was thrilled to bits to receive this year's John Neville Masculine Award, which is the award for, apparently, outstanding contributions to magic literature. Wow, that does sound good. I must be better than I thought. It was an amazing surprise, and it was quite funny the way it came about. I have found out about it, really, because Catherine, Secretary Catherine Rhodes uh, called me and she caught me in the car. I was taking my wife to the station, just about to drop my wife off the station. for. A, she was setting off somewhere. And Catherine said, oh, hello, Mark. Uh, have you got a few moments? I said, well, actually, Catherine, I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't, actually. Can I ring you back in a minute? I'm just doing a drop-off at a station. She said, oh, yeah, that's fine. I've got something nice to tell you, but um, I do want to talk to you. I said, OK, fine. I had absolutely no idea what, what, what she was going to say. 
So when I got home about half an hour later, I rang her and she duly gave me the good news. And I, I didn't know what to say apart from, well, thank you very much. That's fantastic. It's the sort of thing that I always feel happens to other people, but not really to me. And it's also something that is very satisfying in the sense that I suddenly thought about how many hours over the, the last few decades I've spent writing ma about magic in one form or another whether it's writing my own books, writing blogs about it, whether it's writing um, articles for Magic Scene. It, it, it's, it's been a constant process, and a process, I have to say, that I really love. I've always loved writing, right from when I was a child. I used to write stories and things like that when I was a kid, and I had a lot of fun. There was a, one of my school friends, when we were about 12, something like that, he also enjoyed writing, we used to buy these hardback lined books, just blank sort of empty books. And these these numbered about 140 pages or sides. And we used to fill these entire books, with these great long stories, which I suppose I didn't realize at the time was preparing me for, for writing. And with magic, I didn't initially, I, I used to, I taught myself to type actually on my mum's old Olivetti typewriter simply because I wanted to type up tricks that I'd got out of books from the library. I can remember getting one of John Scarn's books very early on. When I was about 13 and there were one or two tricks in it I really liked. And in, and in those days, you know, you didn't just go to a photocopier. It just didn't, didn't really exist. So the only way I could think of doing it, other than writing it out by hand, was to teach myself to type and type it out. And in fact, on my bookshelf at home, I've still got the what are now very yellowing pages of typed up card tricks from him and other books too and that then led me to start typing up my own ideas some of which were reinventing the wheel but nevertheless I thought I'd come up with certain ideas and I wanted to remember them the only way to remember them was to type them so I've I've always been typing up ideas describing things and I, a little did I know that I was going to end up one day doing that for a living. It was never my intention to do that, of course. And then Magic Scene, pure luck. Uh, Graham, Graham Hay and Phil Shaw, whose idea Magic Scene was, they'd both worked on magazines before, although, although they're magicians not on Magic magazines, it was their idea to produce one. And they needed somebody to be the editor and to be the, the sort of front person, if you like. And I was lucky that they thought that I would be the right fit and they approached me and, and it's quite funny at the time because I, I, I didn't know either of them at that stage. This is right back in 2004 when they first approached me and I thought perhaps it was some sort of a scam or something. I didn't know what was going on and, and I, I probably sounded not that enthusiastic about being the editor of this brand new magazine, very suspicious. But actually, once I'd met them and uh, they told me in detail what their plans were, I realised that really this really was something I wanted to be involved with. And it's been fantastic. And I've really, really enjoyed it ever since. So thank you very much, Magic Circle. I'm not sure I deserve it as well. I was looking at the list of the various people who have won this award since it started in 1987. And there are some big names in there, some of whom have won it more than once. But uh, I'm very happy to add my name to that if others feel I'm worthy of it. If there was a trick that you wanted to perform and you came across two methods for achieving it, one of these methods was using sleight of hand 
and the other method was something that was basically self-working. Which of the two methods would you choose if the effect that was created was basically the same? In other words, the strength of magic was not compromised. Because I think the answer to that question in, in, in many ways reflects the type of magician you might be. I think one of the appeals of magic is that sometimes the methodology is in itself extremely interesting or clever or intricate. And for some people, complexity is a good thing. Sleight of hand is a, an end in itself. If it requires lots of practice, then there are some people for whom that is wonderful because that will give them something to get their teeth into, a new move that they can learn and try and perfect and will spend hours getting their fingers to, to do this knuckle-busting slight so that they can do this trick. And then there are other people, perhaps commercial performers, although not necessarily, who don't feel they've either got the time or the inclination for all this practice. They well, why would I want to do three fly using skill when I can get a gimmick set of coins for 256 quid that will basically do it for me? What's the point? Well, there could be a point, of course. There could be several points, like one set of coins you can hand out and to be examined, the others you can't. But basically, the effect will look the same. It's just that it's a lot easier to do with the gimmick coins. And I think this is why uh, some magicians make the choice that they do, not because they're thinking about what the effect is going to be on the audience necessarily, but more on how interesting the method is to them and where they are in terms of their stage in magic, whether their method is still interesting to them or whether it's the effect that it has on the spectators interesting to them. My take has always been that personally, I'm a bit of both. I, I will use sleight of hand if I can't find a simpler way to do it, even if it means up to a point compromising the effect. But I try to judge that if by using, let's say, uh, some gimmick or other, is going to compromise the practicality of me doing the trick. In other words, if I think the trick will be strengthened by being able to hand a prop out and I can't because it's faked, then I will more likely go for the sleight of hand version, provided it's something that I can master sufficiently well to do it in a commercial situation. But I won't go for the sleight of hand version just for the sake of it. And this includes tricks that I'm, I'm looking to market or to put on eClub Pro or anything else. I don't tend to look for complexity or clever moves just for the sake of it, unless I think it will improve the look of the trick, the way it works, the practicality of it, or whatever. And, and I think there's an, a distinction to be made between whether the effect or the method is the important thing for you. And, and in many ways, it doesn't matter. It depends on, on your viewpoint generally in magic and where you want to use magic, whether it's just a hobby and that's of interest to you and the practice is basically you're not going to perform this for anybody very much, perhaps the guys down the club, magic club, but that's about it. Or whether you're a commercial performer that has to be able to perform this trick in front of lay people repeatedly then you, you you tend to have a different type of view but I think they're both equally valid it just depends where you are on the magic spectrum. I count myself as being incredibly lucky in that I have four grandchildren and currently they are all under the age of five and my son has two a boy and a girl and so does my daughter a boy and a girl as well and 
obviously at this stage, because of the age that they are, they're not quite, or at least the two older ones are, but the two younger ones are not aware that I'm a magician. The two older ones, they have seen me do some magic. One formal show when I actually did some magic for my granddaughter and her friends on Zoom. This was during lockdown last year. But apart from that, I've done the odd little thing. If we're doing something with Play-Doh, I'll roll up a Play-Doh ball and make it disappear. And my eldest grand, uh, grandchild, Ollie, who's nearly five, he is absolutely fascinated by this. He takes it totally for granted that I do this. This is what's amazing, isn't it? The children of that age, you forget that the whole world is a miracle to them. They're always seeing things that are they haven't got an explanation for in their, in their own little minds. These things just are and happen. And Grandad doing magic is just one of those things. It's just, just what Grandad does, you know. Well, why is this unusual? They don't realise that perhaps that all Grandads don't necessarily do magic. So he when i make something disappear he absolutely loves it and then i produce it from anywhere just the classic sort of hackneyed thing that that anybody will try and do but even i do it as a magician you know some sort of thing that people who don't do magic make a coin disappear because little children aren't always too astute about how it's done but ollie is really interested in this and he thinks because of the way I vanish a ball, I put it into my hand and I squeeze my hand and then crumble as if crumbling it away and then gradually open my fingers. And he's got it into his head that that's how you make things disappear. So he will get a piece of Play-Doh, roll it up, put it in his hand. And then he said, right, granddad, watch, watch, I'm going to make it disappear. And he squeezes his little hand till it's almost he's digging his nails into his palm and he opens it. And of course, it's still there. Oh, it's still there. What's happening? I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Look, watch, watch, watch. And so he tries again. And, and I keep saying, do you want me to help you with it? No, 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 I can do it. I can because five year olds can do everything. No, 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 I, I can do it. I can do it. And of course he can't. And it's it's such a shame. And, and I don't quite know how to deal with this because on the one hand, I don't want him to be disillusioned with magic because it would be lovely if in the fullness of time he started to get an interest and I could I could show him how to he's too young at the moment I feel for me to actually show him how to do some stuff he needs a bit more awareness of what magic actually is and he's not old enough yet but on the other hand I don't want him to put old oh, magic's rubbish because you know I can't do it although one thing he has started to do and I think a lot of children do this so I'm going to make this disappear. So close your eyes and he makes you close your eyes and then he shoves it somewhere and then he closes his hand. And he comes back and he's right. Open your eyes and he opens his hand. And it's gone. Look, I can do it. I take that to be a positive sign that despite the fact that he can't really do it, he, he he's finding a way. He's coming up with his own method, a self-working method. Get your spectators to shut. We should all do that. Just get our audiences to shut their eyes and make it all so much easier. But he thinks that's OK and that's acceptable. And of course, what do we do? We go, wow, how did you do that? That's amazing. So he's getting the kudos for a method that is utterly ridiculous, of course. Again, like many magicians, I suppose, some of the methods we use, maybe they are ridiculous. And we nevertheless, people patronize us by saying, oh, very good. 
But I am looking forward to when he's just that little bit older. It would be lovely to, and I suppose that's, of any magician, I always hope that either your children or your grandchildren will show an interest. Although, I mean, I don't mind either way, to be honest. If they are interested for a while and would like me to help them, I'm happy to do it. If they don't really, they prefer sports or other things instead, that's okay too. I've got nobody else in my family who uh, has ever been an entertainer, never mind a magician of any sort. I was a kind of a, a freak of nature in my family. I'm the only one for no apparent reason who got interested in magic. But obviously when you have your grandchildren, they see you doing things, then maybe just like your kids sometimes, my daughter got interested in magic for a while when she was young, around about the age of eight, nine, ten, and she used to do a bit of magic and she was in the local Young Magicians Club. And it was great. For a few years, she really enjoyed it. And then she grew up and moved on, and that was fine. I had no problem with that. Although she still does love magic to watch. Not to perform herself, but, but to watch. So it'll be interesting to see, and I'd forgotten how much fun little children can be when you do something simple for them. And anybody who's got young children or grandchildren, I'm sure, will agree that it really is fabulous because they are so... Incredible, the way they, they just take it for granted that you'll be out that you can do this stuff. Amazing, really, isn't it? Right, well, there we are. That's another podcast. The months go so fast as well, by the way, don't they? When you do something on a regular basis, like I do these podcasts every month, I can never believe it's a month since I did the last one. Incredible. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the various things I've talked about. Uh, as I always say, if you know, if you've got something you'd like me to chat about, or sort of comment you want to make on some of the things that I've said, send me an email, get in contact, let me know. Uh, it's always interesting to have a bit of feedback because you never know whether there's anybody's listening or not. Or not. And so uh, I hope you all uh, enjoyed this one and that you'll be back for some more next month. Bye for now.